Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Justice and Mercy, and I will be discussing Lesson 18 and 19, starting on page 92. I think that this uh, Lesson 18 is easy to answer the questions, but understanding what all the answers mean and putting all the pieces together is a little challenging, and I don't have all the answers. I don't think that we do um, in understanding exactly how this is going to play out in the future, but I will give you some um, more thoughts that are not in your workbook as we go along. So let's begin in lesson 18. The battle belongs to the Lord, and that is good news. The last italicized uh, sentence of the introduction says, The passage we will study in this lesson at first sounds like a description of war, but we will see that it is actually describing peace. And it's peace because this section is still referring to the time when Jesus is reigning over Israel as the Messiah and the King. And this is what's happening um, perhaps right at the end of Armageddon when Jesus returns and conquers armies of the Antichrist and armies that are against nations that are against Israel. That's the part that is that we're not sure about, um, whether that is in this lesson or not. I did not bring that up in the workbook, so that may be sounding new and surprising to you. But still, this is when the whole passage is definitely describing when Jesus, the Messiah, has come back to earth and he is ruling over Israel and he's the one that gives Israel peace and security and strength and he's the leader and they're um, doing what they do under his authority and in dependence um, for their strength on him. (laughs) So now let's start with the first question and you might, well, you know, it depends on your group. You can call on someone. I'm thinking that a lot of this lesson, you could just set it up and start going around the circle just to keep things moving and then they'll know it's their turn and then you'll be adding in comments along the way. So what's the first sentence of Micah 5.5? And he shall be their peace. I was just looking for that short phrase. This is the introduction to the scenario explained in the following verses. Micah 5, 5 and 6 is written poetically. This is prophetic poetry. And I want, I pointed out that it has chiasm, but this poetry also has uh, poetic synonyms and poetic parallelism and poetic imagery. So this is poetry, it's eloquent, and there's some mystery in it too. Let's go to the top of page 93 and um, just go around the circle. According to Micah 5, 5, 1B and 1C, and Micah 5, 6, 1B prime and 1C prime, who invades Israel? The simple answer to that, 
according to what's on page 92, is Asher. If they say the Assyrian, then perhaps they're looking at their own Bible. Those are, um, or some translations just say Assyria. In the Hebrew, it is a proper noun, and it's the Hebrew word Asher. A-S-S-H-U-R, just as you see it um, on page 92. That, that's a mysterious thing right there. Some see this as referring to the Antichrist. It could be referring to Israel's enemies in general. And we know during the time of Micah that Assyria the nation and the kings of Assyria were the prime enemy and they had already attacked Israel. But what happens in this passage in Micah did not happen in Israel at the time that the historical nation of Israel invaded. When Sennacherib invaded um, Judah, Israel did not fight and defend and conquer Assyria and Sennacherib. God took the army out himself. Okay, so that opened a whole can of worms right from the very beginning. Look, now the next question. Look back at 5-2. And 5-5-1-A and 5-6-1-A prime. Who delivers Israel? And the answer is the one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So that is as we know, is the one who was born in Bethlehem. It's Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one who delivers Israel. So now if we just are looking back at the bottom of page 92, perhaps, um, I mean, this may be, you may not need to talk about this. This may be making sense already, but you could start with this quoted passage and say that, and he, that's Jesus, because it's referring back to the one who will be ruler. He will be one of peace. And then Micah 5, 6. And so he, Jesus, will deliver us from Asher when Asher penetrates into our country and when he marches through our territory. Just I'm just emphasizing and I'm trying to connect the pronouns back to 5, 2. That was the point of that. Sometimes people have difficulty with looking back to what a particular pronoun would refer to in the previous verse. The next question is, according to Micah 5, 5, 2a and 2b, how does he deliver? So how does Jesus, the Messiah, how does the one who is ruler deliver? And he does it through Israel. That's what where it says, we will raise up against him seven shepherds, but against him is referring to Asher in 5, 5. And it's saying, we will raise up, this is Israel speaking, and they are shepherds, sheiks, under the authority of the good shepherd, Jesus. So it does appear that Israel is given strength to stand against this enemy. Um, so now, leaders, you're going to be talking about <laughs> these comments that are bulleted points the numbers seven shepherds, eight sheiks, the numbers seven and eight are indicating there are more than enough 
people to stand um, raised up in leadership against the enemy. Seven, then eight. It doesn't mean specifically like count on your your you know hand seven people and then you know eight people. The description there is to indicate more than enough people. And then the next bullet point, the shepherds are raised up and serve under the ruler of the Messiah. I've already been saying that. You could read Micah 5, 4, which says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So the ruler, the Messiah, Jesus, is the chief shepherd over Israel. And he is shepherding, directing, and giving strength to his people to um, to, to carry out what he wants and to, to defend Israel, to protect Israel against the enemy. And this also could be referring to, if this is, re- okay, ah, sorry, if Asher is referring to the Antichrist, then it is possible that this, uh, we will raise up against him seven shepherds, eight sheiks, and they'll, um, be delivered from Asher, from the Antichrist and his armies. That could be referring to the time when the Antichrist and his armies attack Jerusalem and Israel is given great strength and they they do crush many and kill many of the Antichrist armies and then, but they don't defeat him and Jerusalem gets overrun. But then Jesus comes back after Israel's rebirth and Jesus, leading them, defeats the armies and destroys the armies. And perhaps Israel is doing that with him. We haven't, I haven't seen that um, described anywhere else except for right here. But I don't know everything. So um, there's, again, just a, a good bit of unknown going on with this. But the point is... Again, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the strength and Israel is serving under him and the enemy will be defeated. This did not happen historically in Israel's day and that's brought up somewhere later in the lesson. Back to the bullets regarding shepherds and sheiks. These are poetic words and they are synonyms here and they they both are referring to, as the bullet where sheiks is, they both are referring to leaders and princes and um, these will be good leaders of Israel serving under their chief shepherd Jesus. And it's possible that this poetry and this language is used as shepherds because Jesus has been referred to as the shepherd in Micah 5.4, the ruler and the shepherd. Um, I gave you the bullet point. The land of Asher is called the land of Nimrod. So that's one more parallelism just to talk about what Nimrod is. It doesn't mean a different nation. It goes back to a early, early language. And that could be part of why we see this statement about Asher as referring to hostile nations, enemies of Israel in general, rather than it being the Antichrist. All right, so 
we're talking about things. We're trying to get a better understanding. We're making ourselves aware of um, some various interpretations. And the, the safe one that we're landing on is the, as what I've been saying. Jesus will reign. Israel will serve under him. They will have peace because Jesus gives them strength and they will uh, obey him. And the enemy will they will be delivered from the enemy. At the bottom of page 93. What is Israel like in Micah 5-7? So we're moving on from that particular place. Uh, Micah 5-7 is referring to the remnant of Israel. And this is a remnant after exile and even the remnant after the time of Armageddon. Well, it has to be. Um, after Armageddon, because this is referring to the Millennial Kingdom. So it's it's after, it's not really referring to the remnant after the Babylonian exile. Israel will be like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. That's explained on the next page. What is Israel like in Micah 5, 8, and 9? And this is, again, the remnant of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom. It is like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of the sheep, treading down, tearing in pieces, and no one can deliver from that lion who is uh, so strong. So at the top of page 94, these two things are explained. Instead of being afraid of its neighboring nations, Israel will be a blessing to them. And their blessing due from heaven they are a blessing from the Lord to the world. They are no longer aloof and hostile and set apart from the nations and saying, we're not going to have anything to do with you. But they're not isolated from the nations. Israel is a witness to the world during that thousand years. They are telling of the glory of God. And Israel will be as strong as the king of beasts, the lion, um, as an animal, other animals know the danger of an attacking lion, so they they respect a lion most of the time. I know there are some that will fight back, but um, this may be that Israel is seen having the strength of the Lord, and they will command respect and obedience from the other nations, and those who fight back against Israel will um, Israel will have the strength to subdue them these prophecies will be fulfillments of God's promises to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and now we look back at the blessing declared in Genesis 27 may God give you the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth plenty of grain and wine let people serve you nations bow down to you so Micah is like his words are reflecting exactly this promise of the Lord from Genesis. And you will be master over your brethren. Your mother's sons will bow down to you. So all the nations around will submit to Israel. Israel will be in leadership over the world during the millennial kingdom. Nations will respond to them. In Genesis 49, 9 and 10, this is the blessing given to Judah and we see that Judah is 
um, given strength of a lion. And then we also see that this is a prophecy of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What was the reputation of the nation of Israel after their exodus from Egypt, according to Numbers 22, 1 through 6? Well, the, the nations were <coughs> exceedingly afraid of Israel because there were so many of them. And it was said about Israel, they will lick up everything around us like an ox licks up the grass of the field. They cover the face of the earth. They are so mighty. So they were great in number coming out of Egypt. And they had a reputation. And this is in Numbers 22 where, um, I want to say Balak. Balak was the king who summoned Balaam to prophesy against Israel because Balak the king was afraid of them. I find it fascinating that Numbers 22 through 25, those three chapters are read on the Sabbath every year. And along with that passage, they read what we've been, what we're studying right now, Micah 5, 6 through 6, 8. I did not make y'all read all of that in your homework. I tried to point out the connections that are given here. So, in Numbers 23, 16 through 26, how does the blessing given through Balaam relate to the prophecy in Micah 5, 8, and 9? Balaam said, Israel has strength like a wild ox, so the strength is highlighted. And in verse 24, it says, The people of Israel rise like a lioness, like a lion, to devour the prey and drink the blood of the slain. So, Balaam is indicating that Israel will have strength. We know through the history of Israel, there were times where as they went into the promised land, they defeated the pagan nations. And then under King David, they defeated and conquered. But then in Micah's day, things were going the other direction. They didn't always defeat everyone. Like during the time of Judges, they were the ones uh, oppressed until God came and delivered them out from under other uh, countries' oppression. But as a whole, this is going to apply um, in its fullness to Israel during the Millennial Kingdom. That, again, think about a lion roaming through the jungle or the, the, uh, the wilderness of Africa that it's roaring, it's going to attack, and the smart animals hide and they get away. <laughs> so, or they, I mean, you're not going to cooperate with a lion. You're just going to respect it and um, know its strength. So we should consider that as well, that the nations will respect Israel. Micah says, the people of Israel, back to Micah 5, 8, and 9. They're like a lion among the beasts of the forest, and they tread down, tearing pieces. None can deliver. That's the strength of Israel. So what do you want to do? Do you want to be uh, torn up, or do you want to 
yield to and submit to that lion. And they, smart nations will do that. Now we looked at the blessing given to Israel in Numbers 24, 9 and 24, 17 through 19. Uh, still talking about the lion. Israel bows down as a lion. Who shall rouse him? That's respect. And then this prophecy of Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the star coming out of Jacob. He's the one with the scepter, the 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 rod, the staff, showing his rule and authority. That's what the scepter is. And he will batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Edom shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy remains of the city. And I don't know what that phrase is about. Um, so, we've I've been repeating myself, and I will stop doing that. I'm going on to page 95, and the last sentence of the first italicized paragraph, Micah's prophecy of the strength of Israel would not be fulfilled until a much later time. The point of this page is that the Lord has a plan for Israel, and we've been looking ahead to the time when it will be a strong nation and strong, prosperous, responding to the dominion and sovereignty of the Messiah, representatives carrying out the, the ways of the Lord, all this during the Millennial Kingdom. Discussion question. What is your perspective on the nation of Israel and its future? So this is something I hope that y'all will be able to talk about during your uh, groups. My answer is that I see God in control. I know he is in control of his people and what's happening with them. He is preserving a remnant. It is mind-blowing to think of how he has um, allowed his people to be reduced in number and in strength time after time. I mean, first in the wilderness and then time after time, and to see the nation come together as a whole, but then it divided, and the northern kingdom is taken into exile, and then the Judah was taken into exile in Babylon, uh, a remnant was preserved, and just throughout history, and then the Holocaust is the biggest one that most recently, um, so God is in control, preserving a remnant. He is keeping his promise, and we can see that, it grieves me and it is um, so hard to understand how God has allowed and used such horrible suffering that has already happened and it will happen again. Many more Jews will be persecuted and die. But at that time, under the Antichrist, God will save a remnant who will repent and they will enjoy salvation. They will enter the Millennial Kingdom. There will be a population explosion. So um, Israel is God's chosen people and I pray for them and respect. I do respect the Jews and not everyone does. Even I mean, Christians don't. There are Christians who do not respect Jews. They should not be the brunt of any jokes. 
Um, so I have highlighted what is in the next italicized paragraph. Israel, as redeemed and restored by God, that will lead a redeemed world to the realization of its hopes and dreams in the kingdom of God. Again, that's during the Messianic kingdom. They will be witnesses, evangelists, faithful servants. They will be the best, most fruitful, uh, quote, missionary agency uh, ever. And they will be a nation truly under God, living according to God's laws, ways, truth, love, they will declare his ways in glory. So that time is coming. Back to Micah and a new section. There's much that sounds like war in this passage, but it actually describes peace. In this next passage, we'll look at Micah 5, 10 through 15. What actions promote trusting the Lord rather than trusting military strength? I said that... The Lord is going to cut off the horses and destroy the chariots that are used for war. He's going to cut off the strongholds and these cities of defense. These places, these are things that the people could have and did rely upon for their security. And now they won't have that to rely upon. They won't need that to rely upon because they have the Lord. I have Jesus, the Messiah, shepherding and protecting them. What actions promote devotion to the Lord rather than idolatrous worship? The Lord's going to cut off and do away with, get rid of. Sorcery, fortune telling, the carved images, the pillars, which are like Asherah poles, um, idolatrous pillars in my um, translation, <clears throat> the people will not bow down to the work of their hands and there will be no more Asherah images. So, no idol worship. There will be true, appropriate, proper worship of the Lord on his high and holy mountain, the one high place, the, the right high place. What actions promote dependence on the justice of God? The justice of the people was missing, and they will see the justice of God. The Lord says he will execute vengeance on nations who do not obey. A lot of this, um, we, I mean, it's absolutely accurate and appropriate to say the Lord will execute vengeance. He may do that through his people, Israel, which could be why they are called and described as a lion and having the strength and uh, the devouring because of the vengeance of the Lord carried out through his people. Well, I've turned the page and we're coming to the end of this lesson and you can decide what you want to do about that box. My comment is that we need to remember that everything is about the kingdom of God and Jesus and Jesus reigning over the world. Psalm 2, why do the nations raise and people plot a vain thing? They are setting themselves against the Lord and his anointed. Um, but God is doing his work through Israel. Jesus 
comes out of Israel and Israel as a nation, when they respond to Jesus as their Messiah, that's going to change them. I mean, that is a watershed moment and the whole uh, world and dynamic and everything about the nations of the world, everything's going to change when Israel knows Jesus. So the Jews, the Jews, Israel, Israel, it gives the evidence of the existence of God. It gives evidence of the truth of the Bible and they are critical. To conclude this lesson, perhaps, and you can check the time, the next lesson I don't think is going to be very long. It's pretty much going through and uh, reading the fill in the blanks. But to connect the dots between what we've been talking about and where we're going, Micah 5, you um, could ask someone to read Micah 10, I'm sorry, Micah 5, 10 through 15, these verses we've been talking about, and then read right into 6, 1 and 2, and encourage them to listen to this as it's being read, as if the person reading is Micah and Israel is hearing this, because there is a contrast of what's going on. Um, that which the Lord would cut off was what Micah's people needed to turn away from in their day. Though uh, These are problems that are going on right now. So it's a reminder, once again, of the sins of Judah, the sins of Israel, the sins of the leaders. And because of their sins, there's this lawsuit that is coming. Micah's bringing the sins to the forefront and telling them they should be repenting. So I'm not going to read through that, but I've talked about it and you can read it and decide how you want to handle that. And then we go to lesson 19, the lawsuit. This lesson is an overview, just trying to point out the details, so lots of fill in the blanks. And I know it was nice for me for it to be a little bit easier just to plug in the blanks. This, um, so, again, I recommend going around the circle and you will have some comments in between some of the questions and fill in the blanks, but um, it'll just, let's just, just plan on ladies one after another um, stating the beginning and filling in the blanks. And perhaps you as a leader will set the stage. Micah calls the court to order saying, hear now what the Lord says. The next one, the Lord calls Israel the defendant to arise, plead your case before the mountains. And then I highlighted the fact that the mountains are the jury. And one of the reasons they are, they're also witnesses, or they were witnesses at the beginning. And I would ask you to either write out or turn in your Bibles or have someone read Deuteronomy 4, 26. And this is when Moses is talking to Israel before they enter the promised land. And he is going to to review everything that God has promised to the Israelites. And um, I'm trying to figure out who is actually. I mean, Moses is speaking, but he's also speaking on behalf of the Lord. So Deuteronomy 4.26. 
says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that you will quickly perish from the land you are to, about to cross the Jordan to possess. You will not live long there, but you will certainly be destroyed. The point is, back in the wilderness, before they entered the promised land, the Lord did say that heaven and earth are witnesses of his covenant to the people. And that verse is where it's highlighted. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2 as when Moses, on behalf of the Lord, is saying, I'm teaching you these statutes and ordinances. Follow them that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land. Um, keep the commands of the Lord. And the people did not do that. So this is more poetic imagery that the mountains are hearing the case as the jury and they were previously witnesses, so it's appropriate for them to hear what Israel says. It's poetic, it's imagery, but it also should remind Israel of that historical covenant that they made before the Lord. And now we have the lawsuit going on. The Lord asks Israel if they have charges against him. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. Answer me. Tell me. What is your problem with me? <laughs> the Lord tells Israel to remember what he has done for them. What has he done? He says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent, I sent before you Moses, Arian, Aaron, and Miriam. Um, I really like that line in the middle of the box. The whole Exodus event is often cited in the Old Testament as the supreme demonstration of the great king's grace, love, power, and care for his people. They celebrated this at Passover every year. Remember what he's done for you. Please summarize what you learned about the Mosaic Covenant from Exodus 19, 3-8. Note God's promises and Israel's response. You can open that up to anybody. You know, they can add to the answer if they want to share more than what one person says. So, um, or if you're going around a circle and that seems good and someone just jumps in there and answers it, that's fine. The promise is, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the response of the people is, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then the lawsuit of the Lord continues. Oh, I would like for you to read from Micah 6, 5, because I've only quoted the second half. <laughs> uh, and so read what the first half of Micah 6, 5 says. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And you leaders might as well go ahead and read the fill in the blanks because this word might scare some people. And um, <laughs> the Lord tells Israel, Oh, my people, remember from Shittim. And if you want to just remember to, to say it, S-H-E-E-T-E-E-M. That is actually, as I understand Hebrew, how it would be said when we see it on our paper that, this is a scary word to talk about. 
It may be written from some translations as acacia grove. <clears throat> and that is, as I have noted, this was the last encampment east of the Jordan River. So this is the last place that they were in the wilderness. So remember, from Shittim to Gilgal, the first place that you went, uh, when you're crossing over, that remember this so that you will know the righteous acts of the Lord. They are to remember what the Lord did. And this is the fascinating thing to me of how Micah refers back to Balak and Balaam. And that's why, as mentioned on page 94, Numbers 22 through 25 is read, and Micah 5, 6 through 6, 8, they're read in um, coordination with each other because they're reading numbers and what Balaam did, Balak and Balaam said and did, and then how Micah talks about what they had to say. And this is really, this is, this is so fascinating and wonderful that the people of Israel hear this every year. They hear these verses that we are about to talk about right now. But we're not there yet. We're going to be, we're going to remember the righteous acts of deliverance and blessings of the Lord in our lives. So ask ladies um, if they would be willing to share just something. It doesn't have to be a long story. It could be just one, one word if they want to. Uh, some everybody shares something that has been the Lord's act of deliverance, His blessing in your life. Note a few of them here. First one on my my list is salvation, but He also has uh, given me understanding of my identity and freedom in Christ, and that's huge. And He kept me just. Uh, close to him and he protected me through those scary years of high school and college uh, because you can go off the deep end and do the wrong thing. I am thankful for his blessing of my husband and the places that we've been and the people that I've been a part of and the Bible studies that I was a part of in early marriage and in um, when we lived in Nashville and Dallas and then um lessons at Dallas Theological Seminary and then bringing me to Cary and what he's done and taught me through my time in Cary at our church and different ministries and um, all the people that have impacted my life and then so thankful for my family, extended family, immediate family, uh, my husband, children, son and daughter-in-law, grandchildren, and friends, just wonderful friends, and ministry, and partners in ministry, and all of you leaders, <laughs> thank you again. So, so many blessings, and what an incredible privilege it is to be near the Lord and serve Him by studying His Word. That's just continues to amaze me whenever I think about it. Moving on then to page 99. Micah is going to speak here as if he's quoting Israel. So the defendant in the lawsuit, Israel, responds. 
and you certainly can go around the circle with this. Just have them uh, state these things and fill in the blank. With what? Shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with burnt offerings? Shall I come with calves a year old? Um, you leaders just, I mean, it's the words are there, but just for repetition and emphasis, the burnt offering it represents total dedication. The calves a year old, these are the most desirable sacrificial animals. And uh, then we'll continue. Shall I come with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Lavish, extravagant offerings. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And obviously this offering is one of one's most valuable possession. Go ahead and read the next italicized paragraph. Again, for emphasis, it's possible that Micah speaks on behalf of Israel using hyperbole, indicating that the people may be willing to do anything to appease the Lord and atone for their sin. You know, what if I give you the best of the best of all that I have, even if it costs me everything? There's right thinking and wrong thinking there. It's right that the Lord is worthy of worship, but it is. And also, it's right if they, now Micah says this, so he is emphasizing that they have sin. Maybe someone has asked this. I don't, this is what Mike is putting as words in their mouth. Like, you're willing to do any of this. But that's not what the Lord wants. It's wrong to think that mechanical rituals, empty ceremonies, extravagant gifts, and actions would provide a solution to their problem. Just remembering Micah's language throughout his, his message to the people he does use extreme language to shock people and he starts out kind of normal with this one burnt offerings they knew about that shall I come with calves a year old they knew about that but now thousands of ram ten thousand rivers of oil the firstborn the first the fruit of my body he's he's getting extreme now to probably the people probably have if they're listening to him, they're thinking, you're babbling again. You've gone off just like, we're not going to do that. But you're shocking me with what you're saying. And he's providing the contrast. It's wrong to think that mechanical rituals, empty ceremonies, extravagant gifts, and actions would provide a solution to their problem. What are modern day examples of rituals and offerings that people might think will solve their problems? Consider Judaism, Christianity, and other world religions. I actually think of other world religions first, but it was interesting that I told you, like, what about Judaism? Well, they do go through all these rituals. Uh, in an extreme way. Think about the tefillin, tefillin, the boxes that the men will strap on their heads and strap all on their arms to pray that's an extreme action they're taking taking and they're rocking and rocking to pray um, sometimes we need to do something physical to pray but if it is ritual and you're dependent on that action um, and thinking that that must be done then that's not right christianity um, church service, 
Some people may think, oh, I need to pay back. I need to do something to pay back uh, just the blessing of God. That's not right. Um, and then some religions require, require people to inflict pain on themselves. Um, some have pilgrimages. Islam has a pilgrimage and five prayers and martyrdom. Uh, there are a variety of things. This does not have to be an exhaustive list at all. And this is not the most important thing, but we just were taking a moment to remind ourselves that empty ceremony, mechanical rituals, these things are not the answer to our sin problem. What does the Lord want? Turn to page 100. In response to Israel's questions, this is Micah's eloquent expression. Does he want you to give the fruit of your body? There's no grand exclamation or shouting of no. That's not what the Lord wants, but it's implied. You leader should... Read this. Micah speaks in the courtroom as a witness to what the Lord has made clear. And you can call on someone to read. What did the Lord, what did Micah make clear? What did the Lord make clear? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, or to love kindness. Uh, depends on their translation. And to walk humbly with your God. And just a little reminder that Mercy, kindness is the word hesed. We'll be getting into that a little bit more. Do these words and instructions from the Lord, what does he want from you? But justice, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. Do those words and instructions comfort you? Do they encourage you? Do they convict you? I can remember reading these instructions in the past and before studying Micah now and um, I guess I felt challenged I felt like wow this is a hard thing um, to do but now I'm reading them I'm like oh I am comforted I am encouraged and understanding what justice is this is the ways of the Lord it is loving him and his people and his way and carrying out his goodness Carrying out the right thing and loving mercy. There's, there's love here. Walking humbly. These are encouraging, comforting words. And I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to enable me to do them. And it's all about relationship with the Lord and letting that relationship with the Lord make its way out and uh, impact others around me. Loving God, loving people. Well, we're going to spend more time on um, all of that in our next lesson and continue on. So I hope that we, through our discussion, will <laughs> we may raise some questions, but perhaps we'll answer a few things and be intrigued. And one day we'll see the fulfillment of God's promises and his answers to the things that we don't understand right now. Always looking forward to that. Thanks again for hanging in there, doing the study and the prep. Have a good group.